Thank you, musicians, and good evening, church. Lovely to see you all, and very warm welcome, especially if you are visiting with us or relatively new. Please make yourself known to us. Uh, we would love to follow up with you and welcome you among us. Let's open in prayer before we come to his word. Our Father, how we thank you that you have spoken and not left us in darkness. Our hearts are prone to wonder, and we pray that you would prepare them now to hear your precious word. May you increase, may I decrease to your glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. In 1750s, England, a young Robert Robinson from Norfolk lost his father when he was only eight years old, sadly. And he was sent to London when he was only 14 to be an apprentice barber, of all things. He fell into bad company, became a member of a gang in the streets of London, and he and his mates one evening decided they were going to go to the, the, the big show that was on in London. It was an evangelist's uh, preaching session from George Whitfield, one of the greatest evangelists God has sent to earth in the whole of time. In order to heckle and mock this man, Whitfield preached powerfully on flee the wrath to come. And young Robert came under conviction of sin, was converted soon afterwards. Uh, he joined the ministry and penned the great classic hymn we've just sung, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, when he was only 22 years old. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And the story goes that sometime later he climbed into a coach for a journey and sat next to a fellow passenger, uh, a young lady, who happened to be singing to herself his hymn. And when she noticed that he seemed interested, she said, Do you know this hymn? And he said to her rather solemnly, I do indeed. I am the author. And it grieves my heart to say that the joy I had in my heart when I wrote that hymn is no longer with me. He was wandering far from his God. And that young believer exhorted him from his own hymn that God's mercy and goodness like a father could still bind and seal his wandering heart back to himself. And God used that incident to restore Robert to serve his God and become a faithful Baptist pastor in Cambridge for most of the rest of his life. And so, dear friends, there's nothing new under the sun. See the people of God throughout the Old Testament, wandering and then being restored almost like a, like a yo-yo. See David, see Peter, 
And then let's look tonight into our own hearts. And we won't be surprised, prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 to 14. Stay open there as we will use these few verses as a kind of helicopter base, or, or perhaps today we should say a drone base, uh, to, to kind of hover up and move on either side of the passage in its context. So just stay open there in Matthew 18. Verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of that one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it and is more than over the, more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And so we want to look at this topic of wandering sheep under three headings. Uh, the cause of going astray. Care for those going astray. And then the cure. How will we know when someone is cured from going astray. So zoom up with me in number one to the cause and just move up to Matthew 18 and verse 8 there, please. Why is it that we are prone to wonder and to go astray? In verse 8, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, Cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. That passage headed in my Bible is temptations to sin. And so our Lord is referring here to our struggle with sin. When you were born again, dear brother and sister here this evening, God gave you a new heart. And what a joy, I'm sure you can remember, and maybe you still have it today, to have new longings for God, love for His Word, look forward to going to church to be with His people, growing in grace and knowledge, joy in the forgiveness of sin because of the finished work of your Savior in the marvelous gospel. But perhaps you were not aware that your new birth and baptism were in fact a declaration of war. War against remaining sin in the world, in your heart, and from Satan, the evil one. Prone to wonder Lord, we feel it. The main cause is deep within our own remaining sinful hearts. And if you are not vigilant and radical, as these verses speak of, in fighting sin, then your heart will grow cold and hard. You will backslide and wander 
and go astray. If your roots don't go deep into God's soil, as Billy's been preaching, trials and temptations will strangle you. So what are the signs then? How will we know that this cause is beginning to come into our life? Well, there are two signs, um, personal and public. Firstly, our personal devotional life will begin to fade. Maybe when you were first born again, you were taught if you were in a good Baptist church uh, and you were discipled about having your quiet time, about personal devotions, about reading the scriptures, about praying, about joining the church. And if your heart begins to wander, you will find excuses coming in and that private place with Jesus that keeps your heart fresh will begin to fade and you might find that weeks go by with hardly any intimate communion with your Savior. That's the first sign. And then secondly, the public attending of the church and home groups will also lose its edge and excuses will come easy. We've heard them all. I'm so busy. I'm tired. It's a hectic season at the moment. Fault finding with music, preacher, elders, unfriendly people not meeting my needs. What is the picture that is on the slides that we've been using? It's of a sheep on its own. It's of a sheep that has left the flock. That's the picture in our opening passage. And dear brothers and sisters, this is why we have registers with low attendance. Like the passage, like that passage indicates, 100 sheep, 99, we count sheep here at Hillcrest Baptist. Because we know, yes, there may be good reasons why some sheep are missing. But 99% of the time, speak to anyone, even look at your own hearts, the vast majority of cases of missing sheep that just disappear is a sure sign of a wandering sheep that's gone astray. Believers should love to be with God's people in God's blood-bought church, warts and all. Sadly, there are biblical examples and church history among us at HBC speaks to the possibility as well, though, of sheep that seem very much part of the church. They're not on any low attendance list. Yet, they are astray or are going astray. Billy spoke this morning of wheat and weeds. Weeds grow up here among us. Wheat wilts and doesn't yield much fruit from time to time. And so you can look very much like you are part of the scene, but your heart can be far from God. Sometimes it's deliberate. I think there was a slide on that, bro. Uh, and other times, you know, it's deliberate. We are actually playing the fool 
and deliberately playing religion. We come here on a Sunday, we sing, uh, to use Clint's word, we speak Christianese, we know the language, we've grown up with it. And everybody else thinks, there's a wonderful brother. Singing, maybe even involved in ministry, and yet later it becomes evident they were astray for a long time. For others, the deceitfulness of sin is so subtle that almost like with a spiritual Alzheimer's, they don't even know they lost. And they fool themselves that because I'm going to church, because I'm involved, because I'm singing, because I'm ministering in this and that, God must be fine with me. When meanwhile, they're in persistent, unconfessed sin. And so, dear brothers and sisters, let's recognize the core cause and key signs of wandering sheep. Are any of these signs perhaps speaking of you this evening? May God's Spirit speak to our hearts, show us the truth about ourselves. And so secondly, we move to care. So let's hover over our passage again and answer the question, how can wandering sheep be restored? Well, we've already seen, number one, uh, personal. We have to care for our own hearts because that's where it all starts. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray, there it is, astray, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It starts in our own thoughts, and so we must fight sin ruthlessly and guard our hearts. How? I almost want to ask you a question like in home group and hear what you say. What, what means do we have to guard our hearts? Well, the means of grace, as we call it, private prayer, private Bible study, public involvement in God's own protective greenhouse, the local church, where we commit to be accountable to each other and to the appointed shepherds. And so, personally, we need to be preventing and fighting our own wandering hearts. But then we also see in our opening passage that we read, the shepherd seeking out the lost sheep. Who's this referring to? Well, firstly, I guess, in fact, I know from his word, the great shepherd of the sheep who said this, my sheep hear my voice, John 10, 27 and 28. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And so, dear friend, when you go astray, when I go astray, you can be sure and expect for Jesus himself to seek you out and restore you 
because He loves you. And He has promised that you will never go astray permanently here in this very passage and many others. Whatever it takes, He will restore you. It may be tough. You may have to be in the pigsty eating husks before you wake up and are restored and returned to the Father like the prodigal. But seek you out. He will. Secondly, there are under-shepherds. That picture of the shepherds going to look for lost sheep uh, also applies to the shepherds of the church. As Peter commands in 1 Peter 5 verse 2, shepherd the flock of God because they are accountable for the souls of the members, as the writer to Hebrews says in chapter 13 verse 17. And so for your elders, brothers and sisters, this is a awesome and daunting task. And we don't do it perfectly. Far from it. So please pray for much wisdom and grace for us. But rest assured, if we are aware of you going astray, it is our responsibility to seek you out and intervene. Of course, it's much better if you approach us or another believer in the flock anyway and ask for help as soon as you have concerns about your soul. The sooner the better applies. Prevention is always better than cure. Then, next, uh, hovering over our passage, God uses fellow believers in individual and small group discipling encounters to assist in the restoration of sheep. Look at Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins, that's what many manuscripts actually say, your version may say against you so that it's personal, but if your brother sins, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others, there's the small group thing, along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What is this saying to us about cure, brothers and sisters? Clearly, we are all accountable to watch out for each other's wandering. Dr. Jim Neuhauser, uh, a pastor for 25 years and now a professor for biblical counseling at RTS, shared a wonderful example of just this. He and his wife were having some conflict. And he sinfully decided to withdraw and sulk. Of course, like no one ever in HBC. When she approached him, he simply refused to engage. My dear late brother Ron Williamson used to call this cocking a deafy. Uh, when someone spoke to him and he just simply didn't want to listen, he would say, I cocked, I cocked him a deafy. In other words, I just didn't listen. So this was the sinful response of this great counseling pastor. She appealed to him repeatedly with grace and humility but he dug in his heels. This persisted for a day or two. 
Jim was not listening to his wife, as the passage says. She had not won him until she said, Right, Jim, I'm calling two of your fellow elders. Move to the next verse, you see. There's the process Jesus has given us. Jim caught a woke-up call. Uh, caught a, yes, caught a wake-up call. And said that the thought, he's now sharing this at a conference, and he did say it was a long time ago when he was not very mature. But anyway, he thought that the exposure of uh, his sin to his fellow brothers was like enough to shake him out into repentance, and he began talking to his wife and engaged. And so, dear friends, this is a picture of discipling at work in the church. These type of Matthew 18 individual encounters should be going on all the time to protect sheep from wandering. Do you as a member see yourself as responsible for fellow members in the flock? You are. This passage says so. Are you in a conscious and deliberate relationship with any fellow members to share life struggles, God's word, prayer together? At yesterday's very blessed growth conference, I think we agreed that this is a weakness at HBC. Some have even said that this, Matthew 18, verse 15, if a brother sins, go to him privately and try and win him, is probably the most disobeyed command in the New Testament. We take it like this. If your brother sins, ignore it and hope it will go away. It's none of my business. Or, report it straight to the elders. They'll be impressed that I'm concerned about others. Or, Approach someone and say, you know, you know how it goes. I'm worried about sister so-and-so. Uh, can we pray for her? Because she's behaving like this and that. Sounds so spiritual, hey? Or, you know, even worse, can you believe it? I saw sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so doing X, Y, and Z. Even worse than that, I heard sister and brother so-and-so said this. Can you believe it? No, no, no. The passage says, as soon as you are aware, go and tell him or her. No one else. Privately. Just the two of you. Here's a little practical suggestion. Next time someone comes to you with any kind of skinner or gossip, Do this. Ah, I thought my phone was with me. It's not. Picture a phone to my ear. Ah, thank you for sharing that about uh, Barbara. I'm just going to, I've got Barbara's number. I'm just going to call her because I know you're obeying scripture and you've spoken to her already. So I just want to check that that is, that is the case. Watch them quickly backtrack. We must not speak to others before we've gone to the person ourselves. Please. And then finally, in caring, what does our passage say? There are two further steps. 
in the passage, and you can see it there. If wandering sheep will not hear one, then take two or three. Bring others. And if they don't hear those two or three, so if Jim had not listened to the elders that, that Caroline suggested she was going to bring, then the matter must go to the whole church. Do you see how we are all involved in discipline, in caring for wandering sheep? That is the step. We've, it's got to go to the whole flock. They're not listening to one person in private. They're not listening to witnesses two or three. Now they must listen to the whole flock which they've accountable to and have signed up with. And if they don't listen to them, they're no longer a sheep in the flock. They're out of the flock. No more shepherds. No more protection. No more privileges. They are considered an unbeliever on their own, out there. Not to punish, but in love, in the hope of restoration. That's what this is about. God has given the authority, read it towards the end of the chapter, of the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose in the church. This means to discern as best as possible whether a person is truly saved or not. God has given that authority to the church. He cares for the purity of his body. We're all involved in restoring wandering souls. So God in his wisdom and grace in this one passage has given us very clear and manifold guidelines. Starting from within ourselves, going to one-on-one, -on -one, going to two or three, and if there's no repentance, the whole church, it's a marvelous process. Most churches, sadly, don't do it. Finally, the cure, the three C's. We've seen the cause of wandering, the sin in our hearts, the temptations in the world, Satan. We've seen the care that should help restore a wandering sheep. Finally, and briefly, how will we know when a sheep has been restored? What does restoration actually look like? Well, this passage is amazing. It tells us as well. Well, there's two words, and you can see it there in uh, verses 15 and 16. Listen and gained or won. What does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean a very quick, sorry, I was caught, now leave me alone. That can just be an avoidance tactic to get folks off our back. Other scriptures make it clear to us that really listening means True godly sorrow and repentance. How will we know when someone is truly restored? When there's godly sorrow and repentance. Paul uses this in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. He says, for godly grief produces repentance. 
He goes on to describe what that grief looks like. So we should look for in a wandering sheep after any one of those processes we mentioned under care has taken place, we should see genuine signs of godly sorrow. A casual shrugging off of, okay, I messed up, let's get over it and move on. It's not godly sorrow. There should be a humble openness to discuss uh, the detail and fully understand what went down and the implications of it. And godly sorrow must be evident. And here I share very briefly uh, something I heard in a sermon recently um, by Brad Bigney, and he played a cut or a clip of a testimony from Pastor Jim Simbala, who is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, a very big church in quite a rough area in New York. And it's a very sad story of his daughter Chrissy, who was raised in the church and taught Sunday school and was the model pastor's kid, and almost overnight went into rebellion and wandered far, far away, eventually leaving the home and disappearing, refusing contact. The parents tried everything. And she was in New York, in Brooklyn, on the streets. No one knew where she was. Heartbroken pastor and wife. And at a prayer meeting of the church, a lady felt led to say, let's devote this whole prayer. It's been months now. We've no idea what's happened to Chrissy. Let's pray earnestly for this wandering sheep. And the whole church did. The next morning, Jim was shaving. His wife came into the bathroom with tears running down her face and said, Chrissy's in the kitchen waiting for you. He ran down with his face still full of shaving cream. And as he walked into his kitchen, there was his young daughter, about 19 years old, on her knees on the floor. And as he walked in, she grabbed the bottom of his trousers and pulled him towards her. And weeping uncontrollably, begged for forgiveness. And then asked, what happened night before last? Because I woke up at a friend's place in a real dive with an awful, awful sense of my sin against a holy God. And it was while the church was praying. And so, dear friends, there we see something of of godly sorrow, she came back like the prodigal and didn't demand anything, just begged for forgiveness with weeping. That's godly sorrow. And then Jesus said this in Matthew seven twenty six about listening. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So godly sorrow is great, 
But there are many examples of that, and then there's no change. So what Jesus is saying here, those who hear truth in any one of those cure processes, but there's no real change, it's not real. It's not real restoration. And so that's why restoration may take some time. Tears and sorrow must lead to real change. And when we see these signs, persistent change and putting off of what caused the, 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 the going astray, what should we do? Well, our passage tells us. What did the shepherd do when he found the lost sheep? He rejoiced like the prodigal father through a party and show true love and comfort and acceptance to the sheep who turn back from the wandering. And it's interesting, the last section of that passage is all about forgiveness. So it's a wonderful passage, Matthew 18, about restoring lost sheep right to the point of everybody forgiving, whether, it, whether they returned early like Jim, or whether we've had two situations in my memory here at HBC where after church discipline, a sad, sad process, 10 years later we got a letter thanking us for what we did. I've repented. I'm now worshiping at a church in Cape Town. Thank you for doing what's right. What you did came back to me and I'm restored. Sometimes it's 10 years. But God will restore his own. And so finally, dear friends, there are only three types of folks here with us this evening. Either, like all of us at one time or another, you are wandering. You are going astray. Even this evening. Consciously or unconsciously. Please listen and cry for godly sorrow and restoration and repentance. Then, if that's not you tonight, then you are a restorer, are you not? Of yourself, looking after your soul, guarding your heart, and others. Do you know of someone you think is going astray? Reach out to them, please. And then finally, there may be someone here tonight who is neither a wanderer or a restorer. Why? You're not in the flock yet. You don't know Jesus. You can't wander from him because you've never been in relationship with him. You've never repented of your sins. You've never thought of eternity and fled the wrath to come if you don't know Christ, and you don't flee to his finished work on your behalf, otherwise you will face a holy God in his wrath. But that wrath, as we heard this morning, was poured out on his son. And if you have faith in him, he puts you into his flock and becomes your shepherd. And you will join a local church of other sheep who wander and go astray, yes, but who care and restore one another. Don't 
leave it. Tonight, speak to someone if that's you. Somehow the time disappeared off that screen, so maybe I should just, we can go on. Is that all right? <laughs> um, let's close in prayer. Oh God, our Father, how we thank you for your precious word. You have given us so many resources to care for our souls. By your Spirit, you lead us into your word. You lead us into fellowship with others. You lead us into membership in a church. We do pray that here at Hillcrest, we would be those who care enough to look after our own souls and to the souls of our fellow brothers and sisters. Give us boldness and courage and love sufficient, we pray. And if there be anyone here tonight who is far from you, lost their first love, heart cold and distant, oh, Father, would you restore them. Pour the rain of your Spirit onto their hardened hearts that your word would find root in that soil. And if there be any who are lost in darkness, never born again, never truly repented, would you grant that tonight we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.